through the book of Acts uh, under the topic of hosting the presence, the Spirit's presence. Because the Bible teaches us that as followers of Jesus Christ, that our bodies are indwelt by uh, by the Holy Spirit. And so our bodies literally are a host. We, we are hosting the Spirit's presence. And certainly God has given us the Spirit for multiple different reasons. Uh, and we are trying to flesh that out as we kind of look at how God utilized the Holy Spirit in the lives of the early believers uh, in the church that he began <clears throat> Uh, after Jesus' ascension back into heaven, and because we want to learn from that church, what does it mean uh, not just to be indwelt by the Spirit, but what does it mean to live a Spirit-filled life? And so we saw that this is important because over and over again, we keep seeing the phrase, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. So the filling of the Holy Spirit is an empowerment that God places upon you that is beyond yourself, okay? So this was a constant filling that was taking place, and as a result of their walking in the fullness of the Spirit, we see that God leveraged uh, the fullness of the Spirit to do all kinds of just amazing things, miracles and signs and wonders. And of course, some of those miracles are the number of people who are getting saved. They're giving their life to Christ. And so it starts out, you know, Peter gives that first message, 3,000 are saved, then another message, 5,000. And then it's just, you know, the church is growing so rapidly. uh, As we get to Acts chapter 5, it's just like, you know, we couldn't even keep count uh, because God was just doing some amazing things. People were being healed. Uh, People were, you know, who had demon possession were being released. And so if, if you were to take a word that would try to describe the early church, one of the words we tagged uh, last week is the word bold. Uh, you see this boldness means it's behavior that's born out of my belief. And so they, were, they so believed in the power of the gospel that they became very bold with their prayers. Uh, they're saying, God, you know, uh, they're coming against us. They're persecuting it. They're telling us to shut up in the name of Jesus, but we're not going to do it. They were bold in their speaking. I mean, Peter, uh, the guy who you know had denied Christ not that long beforehand uh, in you know in in the high priest court, now all of a sudden is standing up and he's looking at his own countrymen, the religious leaders of his day and time, the Sanhedrin Council, which is kind of like their supreme court on the religious side, and he's saying, "Listen, you guys crucified. You guys had a hand." in crucifying the, the author of life. And, and people are giving their life to Christ. And so there was, there was such boldness in their speaking and their praying and even in their obedience. They said, listen, you can do whatever you want to do. We cannot stop talking about what we have seen and what we have heard and what we've experienced. Now, there's a second word that I want to use today. It is the word unstoppable. I love the word unstoppable. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever been in a tornado. Uh, A tornado, if it comes bearing down upon you, guess what? It is unstoppable. It is a very frightening thing. My wife and I have been through a couple tornadoes. uh, And when that's bearing down on your house, uh, there's nothing you can do to stop it. You just got to ride that thing out. Or maybe some of you have experienced or at least watched on television about a tsunami. A tsunami is coming, and sometimes... You know, it is coming on shore and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Well, if there's a word that would ever describe the early church, it is the word unstoppable. And um, throughout the book of Acts, we see that when the Holy Spirit shows up, uh, the church is unstoppable. 
This began all the way back into the Gospels. Remember what Jesus said to, the, to his disciples, says, listen, it is, it is to your benefit that I'm going to leave because in my absence, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit who's going to empower you to do things you could not do on your own. In essence, Jesus was saying uh, to his disciples, um, my spirit in you is better than having my presence beside you. Because everywhere they went, they were emboldened by, they were empowered by the Spirit of God. And so as a result of that, as they're walking filled in the fullness of the Spirit, they were absolutely unstoppable. Whatever God wanted to accomplish, as long as they were were remaining submitted and surrendered to the Holy Spirit, God was accomplishing it. Regardless if it required a miracle or whatever it needed. Now, Uh, What we left off last week was, um, as God is moving in incredible ways, it says that Barnabas, uh, one of the believers among them, uh, you know, people were having needs, uh, people were selling their fields and giving the proceeds to to the apostles so that no one had a need among them. And Barnabas was one of those guys, you know, known as the son of encouragement. He sells his field, takes all the proceeds, he gives it to the apostles. And then a couple come up, their name's Ananias and Sapphira. They have sold a field, and they bring their proceeds. They drop it off at the apostles' feet. Uh, Only in their case, uh, they wanted to appear as though they were giving all of the proceeds to the apostles. But when they're questioned about whether or not they gave everything, uh, they lied. Right? They said, oh yeah, we've given it all, when in fact that was not the case. And so uh, you'll notice in chapter 5 and verse 3 what Peter says uh, to Ananias. He says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Listen, they could have kept the money. Had they just been honest about it, nobody was requiring them to give all the money. Uh, But notice very carefully what Peter says, Satan has filled you, all right? (laughs) So you see, God was calling them to walk filled with what? The Holy Spirit. And so Satan has now filled them with, with a lie that they're trying to, that they wanted to appear as though they were sacrificial without actually sacrificing. Isn't it weird how we too sometimes spin stories about ourselves uh, because we want to, you know, be accepted or admired or respected by somebody and, uh, you know, uh, we just say some things about ourselves that probably isn't fully true uh, and we're kind of embellishing things and we, we end up being a little better than we really actually were and, and we do this knowing in our hearts that we're flat out lying and... Uh, <laughs> And what, what, what makes it worse is you don't even feel better about yourself after this is all said and done, all right? So this is kind of what Ananias and Sapphira is doing. And so uh, God steps in and he kills Ananias and then Sapphira comes, his wife, and he kills her. Why, why would God take such extreme measures just because they told a lie? Aren't you God, glad God doesn't do that with you? God was saying right up front, I will not tolerate sin. Why? Because God understood if his church was going to be unstoppable, if his church was going to accomplish his mission, that they needed to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit who would empower them to operate above and beyond their own human limitations. And the only way you can stop the fullness of the Holy Spirit is to grieve the Spirit, which is doing what the Spirit tells you not to do, 
or they would quench the Spirit is when you don't do what the Spirit tells you to do. In other words, as long as they begin tolerating sin in their lives, they're going to put a squelch on walking in the fullness of the Spirit that means translated, listen, they're losing the ability to walk in the power of the Spirit for God to operate through them in a way that he needed to in order to accomplish his mission here on earth. And so, you know, uh, listen, when you tolerate sin... A lot of things change in your life, right? Um, You're probably not going to share the gospel, for for one thing, because you kind of feel hypocritical about it. And you're you're not walking in the fullness of the Spirit. You're walking grieving the Spirit, whether you realize it or not. And it affects your prayer life, right? So uh, Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. Psalm 66.18 says, If I cherish uh, sin in my heart, that God will not hear me. And so God was moving in such power through the church, and he's performing these signs and wonders and miracles, and what God did not want to happen is for the church to just begin tolerating sin and bring a screeching halt to what he is doing. Listen, there is someone else who knows that, right? It's because sin always creates distance. It always creates a barrier between ourselves and God. When you are lost, when you are outside the kingdom of God, your sin created this distance, this barrier between you and God, and so when you embrace the the gospel, God brought you into the presence of God and indwelt you with the presence, and he, he, he bridged that gap so that you and the Father are walking as one. So when we sin as believers, there is that momentary kind of distance that takes place. So as we, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so there's that, that ongoing continual fellowship. God understood the necessity of that in the early church. And if he allowed them to tolerate sin, and they, you know, they just kind of walking in the flesh rather than the spirit, everything he's seeking to do is going to come to a screeching halt. So Satan knows that. And so he knows that in your life. He knows that if he can get you to tolerate sin, he'll get you to tolerate a lot of things in life. And so God just let it be known up front that this is not going to be tolerated. I'm not going to watch my mission come to a screeching halt because somebody is trying to falsify information about themselves. But here's something else I know about Satan. If he can't get the church to stop through sinning, he'll try to get you to stop through suffering. See, there is a new normal that you're going to find in the book of Acts. There is a paradox between power and persecution. Between power and persecution. It's amazing. God is moving in such power upon the apostles and, and God is just healing. And so much so that, you know, Peter's shadow is, is, is healing people and, and God's just doing all these miraculous things. And so God, you know, Satan comes along and tries to get the church to tolerate sin when they won't tolerate sin. He says, okay, let's bring a little suffering into their lives. Because what? Satan's ultimate goal is not just the physical or emotional pain that he may seek to inflict upon you, but it is the the distance between yourself and others. And God wants to move through them. So here we pick up the story in Acts chapter 5 and verse 12. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Why is it no one's joining them? Well, who who wants to say, hey, uh, you go ask them a question because the last person they talked to, they ended up dead. I'm not going. You, You go check it out. 
So, but, but what's interesting is that even though they were afraid, they were highly respected. In other words, um, they just knew that God was operating through them in a, in a very, very powerful way. And so it goes on to say, so nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats. And at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Listen, it's not Peter's shadow that has healing power. It's because Peter was walking in the shadow of God. All right, it's God's shadow that brings healing, not Peter. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits. Now, how many of them were being healed? Yeah, all of them. Every single one of them. I mean, so, you know, he's like, look, the church is growing so fast, we can't, we can't keep count. God's just, he's just moving in this very powerful way. And, and we, we, we are amazed at what God's doing. Now notice what happens in verse seven. Then the high priest and all of his associates who were members of the party, the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Now remember the Sadducees, uh, they did not believe in the miraculous. They did not believe in angels. They did not believe in the resurrection. And so they were very liberal scholars. And it says that they are filled with something, but they're not filled with the Spirit. They are filled with what? They are filled with jealousy. So here are the, the apostles filled with the Holy Spirit. God is doing amazing, incredible works through them in order to bring the miraculous to bear on the hearts and lives of people who are broken by sin. And so now the Sadducees back up and say, hey, they're filled with jealousy because they want to keep people in their own little religious bondage. The other reason I think they're probably a little bit jealous is because now everybody is intrigued with the apostles, and they're not hanging around. They're not, they're not, like, they're not going to church anymore. Like, hey, we're going to go over. We, we don't necessarily like, want to jump in the middle of them because we're a little fearful right now as to after what happened to Ananias and Sapphira, but we, we certainly admire them, and we kind of want to listen to their teaching. And you can imagine the Sadducees, they're all bent out of shape because, listen, their tape sales have gone down, and uh, nobody's wanting to listen to them anymore. And now all of a sudden their hearts are, are filled with jealousy. And look out, because when Satan operates through a heart filled with jealousy, that heart is capable of doing anything. And so they add, it says they arrested the apostles. They put them in public jail. But during the night, I love this, during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Uh, angel, uh, did you not get the memo? We're in jail because of this, right? So you're telling us to go do exactly what we have just done. Absolutely. You'll notice the apostles have not done anything wrong. God was not unhappy with them. It's not like they, did, they shared the gospel in the wrong way or they were doing too many miracles. Please un jot this down. Opposition does not necessarily mean failure, right? They were being opposed, not because they had failed at what God had called them to do, but because they were doing what God had called them to do. And so here they are, they're in prison, and um, you, you wonder what they thought or what they were talking about at this point. It's like, why is it that every time we do the right thing and God shows up in power, that all of a sudden we're being opposed? You know, we're being talked to, we're being put in prison, we're, we're, you know, it's just like there's always this opposition. Do you suppose Thomas was thinking, you know, I doubt this was supposed to happen, right? He's the doubter. 
I don't know what they were doing, what they were saying, what was happening. We certainly know further on in the book of Acts when they're put in jail, like they're singing, they're worshiping, they are praising. Uh, they're probably saying to the, their, their jailers, hey, listen, we've got some news for you. It's great news. Could you, let's share, let me share the news with you. And so I, I'm pretty sure that's probably kind of what's going on. And you'll notice it says that at daybreak, they enter into the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates Associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, okay? So this is like the, the, the um, Supreme Court uh, of their religious beings, uh, body, and it says the full assembly of the elders of Israel. I mean, this is serious stuff. And they sent to the jail for the apostles. Now, you know, we got a bird's eye view on this. Uh, they don't. And so it says, but on arriving in the jail, the officers did not find them there, so they went back and reported. <laughs> Can you imagine? You, you got to go back and report to the Sanhedrin Council. Hey, uh, we got some good news and some bad news. I got three points of good news and one point of bad news. Which do you want first? Well, give me, the, give me the good news. Well, the good news is we went and found the prison. Good, great. And we even found the guards standing guard at the prison. Wonderful. And uh, once we found the guards in, in you know, the, they're, they're watching the prisons. Uh, I'm all messed up now. Up. What's my third? Yeah, they're locked up. Yeah, right? So what's the bad news? Well, the bad news, like we looked inside, there ain't nobody there. Now, when the angel let the... Remember, all 12 of the apostles are jailed at this time. Right? It wasn't just like Peter and John. All 12 of them are, are, are jailed. How do you suppose that they got by the guards and the guards didn't even realize they were initially gone, I would dare say that they fell asleep, right? Probably fall, fell asleep. They come, and so the message is brought back, and uh, obviously the Sanhedrin's not going to be real uh, keen about this. It says, on hearing their report, the captain of the temple, the guard, and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Like, it's like they're, they're confused, um, and so you'll notice what the angel had told the disciples uh, when the apostles, when they let him out, he says, we want you to go back to where you were in the temple courts and we want you to give the full, watch this, the full message of this new life. What is the full message of new life in Christ? Listen, the full message isn't that God wants to do, uh, you know, just a little adjustment makeover on you. The full message of, is that you have become a new creation in Christ, right? And so as a new creation in Christ, that means that there's a whole new thing. My purpose is different. My path is different. My objectives are different. Everything is flat out changed because of this Jesus thing. And so God didn't save you just to make a few tweaks in your life. He, he saved you to radically change your life. This is the message they're called to take back out. There's, you know, they're out there. They're doing it. They're preaching. And so... In the sand region, they find out, they're wondering, they're puzzled, what, what's going to come of this? And then it says, someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. Guess what they're doing? Exactly what God told them to do, right? Now, can we just be honest uh, with one another for a minute? Uh, if you had been one of these apostles and you're sitting in jail because you have been preaching about this new life in Christ and the resurrection of Jesus, and an angel says to you, I want you to go back and do the same thing over again. Uh, do you suppose that, and you know that you've been in trouble for this before, do you suppose that there'd be a little twinge of fear inside of you? 
about what might transpire once news gets back to the high priest and all the elders of Israel and the Sanhedrin council that you have, you know, you have fled the scene and you're now back doing what they have told you multiple times already not to do. You want to know why the church, the early church was such an unstoppable force is because they didn't let fear stop them in their tracks. Listen, fear does not come from God. Uh, that the fear to, that would, could have stopped them from being this unstoppable force is not coming from God. God says he didn't give us a spirit of fear. And so if, if God's called you to do something and you're just holding back because you are afraid, listen, that God did not give you that spirit of fear. He's not the one that's trying to hold you back because of fear. He wants you to move forward in spite of your fear, which is exactly what they did. And so now the Sanhedrin, they're confused. Now listen very carefully to what they say. At, the, at that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles in, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin and questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Notice he can't even say the name. In fact, you'll find we found this pattern all through in chapter Acts 2, 3, 4, 5. Constantly they were doing what? Every time they're questioned about where the power source came from, it was always the same answer. It's in the name of Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus. Why? Because there is power in that name. Because of who it represents. Christ is the power source who now indwells us, lives within us in that power source called the Holy Spirit. And they constantly were saying, listen, this is not us. It is, it is in the name of Christ. It's through the power of Christ. But they couldn't even say the name. Don't, don't, we've told you before, not, not, not to do this in, in this name. And uh, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. I find that highly interesting because if you'll recall back in Matthew 27, when the murderous crowds led by the religious leaders wanted Jesus crucified and Pilate stood there and said, listen, I find no fault in this man. I, I, I don't know why you, you're demanding this. Do you remember what they, they cried out? They said, listen, they said, may the blood of Christ be upon us and our children. Now all of a sudden, uh, they've had time to sleep on that statement, and now they're kind of like retracting it and say, well, we, don't make us guilty of this guy's blood, but that's what you cried for when you had him crucified. And so Peter, once again, boldly launches into this message, and it says, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. That's why you're unstoppable. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree, and God exalted him to his own right hand as, a, as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, it says they were furious, and they wanted to put them to death. <laughs> uh, but then Gamaliel, he stands up, and he gives, he gives a speech, and he says, in essence, they take the, the apostles out of their presence he stands up and he gives a speech and he uses two examples of others who have claimed you know, to, to, be, uh, to be able to, to change the course of history. And he used uh, Thutius and, um, uh, uh, I can't remember who the other one was. It's in here in scripture. I'm trying to, trying to yeah, Judah. So um, anyways, he, he says, listen, it, it didn't work out for them. Here's, here's what I want you to follow on his statement. 
He says in uh, verse 38, For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. In other words, what he was saying is, if this is of God, it is unstoppable. Now, do you think Satan's going to stand for that? Remember, we live in a parallel kingdom. There's the kingdom of darkness here on this earth, and we live and represent the kingdom of God. And Satan's going to do everything in his power to try to stop this force of God that's bearing down upon the hearts and lives of people because they are seeing thousands of people being transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. And if he can't stop them by sin, how about we try to stop them by suffering? Now think of this. You are the apostles, all right? You and I, God's using us in mighty ways. We are laying hands on the sick and they're being healed. We are, we are laying hands on people and we're exercising demons. And, and God's just moving. People are being saved right and left. And all of a sudden, now notice what it says. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, catch that, they're beaten. Now, a flogging is not like my mother going out in the backyard and getting a switch and hitting me on the back of my legs, all right? A flogging is something that is brutal. And so there are 39 lashes, actually 40, according to the law, was the maximum you could flog a person, but they, they would stop at 39 in case they've miscounted. Listen, this is a brutal beating, now, now watch their response. This is why they're unstoppable. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they've been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name day after day in the temple courts. And from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you see the key here? This is the key passage. The, the purpose of the filling of the Holy Spirit was not just so they could be doing the miraculous. The purpose of the filling of the Holy Spirit was not just so that, you know, God would just fix everything. The purpose of the filling of the Holy Spirit was to bring them to this Acts 41. What I, I call an Acts 41 believer. Listen, it doesn't matter if God's doing the miraculous or they are being persecuted, they're being flogged. It never wavered their rejoicing. Let's be honest. Most of us, had we seen God doing the miraculous through us, and then all of a sudden somebody's taking us out behind the woodshed and beating the crap out of us, we would have stopped dead in our tracks, and we'd have said, God, you know what? I thought you loved me. I thought you cared about me. Why in the world are you allowing these bad things to happen to me? I'm not doing it anymore. There was a whole different mindset in the hearts and the lives of these apostles, I mean, in the midst of a credible power and display of God. Can, you know, when God shows up, when God shows up, we always expect God to show up um, in the miraculous, in the healing. This time he showed up in the flogging. What does it take to become that kind of believer that can handle the suffering, that can handle the persecution, that can handle the setbacks in life? Because you know as well as I do, we as followers of Jesus Christ does not mean that our lives are always going to be smooth, that it's always going to work out the way that we thought it would work out. 
uh, that there are, there are going to be times in which we feel like we're not, we're not going to receive a physical flogging here in the United States. Uh, we're not going to receive probably a physical beating because of our faith. Can I tell you something? Satan has a way of flogging you, even though it may not be a physical abuse. He, he can take um, suffering that comes into your life and he can exasperate it. He, he, can, he can cause it to, to, for you to just like sit down, uh, broken, back up, you know, and, and just say like, you know, God, I don't understand this. I, I can't comprehend this. I don't understand why this is happening to me. I don't understand why the doctor says I have cancer. I don't understand why, why I got the bad report. I don't understand, as this family this morning, why our basement's flooded. It's never been flooded in the six years that we've lived here. And so there are all kinds of things that come into our lives. And what Satan knows he, he, he wants to do is he wants to create distance between you and God. And oftentimes he just takes the, the suffering of life and he just kind of begins then, you know, gnawing on our minds and our spirits in, in order to get us to like, just like stop the halt and say, you know what? I'm done. It's over with. My heart is shriveled up. It's dying. Uh, I don't even want to do this anymore. How do you stay? How do you stay a, an unstoppable force for God, an Acts 4, 541 believer, that regardless of whether or not God's doing the miraculous or you are being flogged, you are still going to rejoice and you're still going to count it yourself worthy. I mean, I, I love this. It says uh, that they, 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 they just... They counted it worthy to be suffering disgrace for the name of Christ. And they would not stop. They could not be stopped because Satan, even though he leveraged suffering against them, they would not allow themselves to be derailed from their life's mission just because they were in pain. How do we do that? Well, I think there are five things, um, and I just want to mention briefly because we're going we're gonna to drill down on these a little later. Number one is you've got, to re you've got to recognize any unrealistic expectations you have of God. All right? You, you've got to, what are your unrealistic expectations that have led to your disappointment with God? All right? So sometimes uh, when sharing the gospel with people, or maybe it was shared with you, we're kind of like a salesman. Like we want to over, we, we kind of oversell. Uh, but under deliver, right? And so sometimes people have come along, for example, the four spiritual laws that has been used by Campus Crusade for Christ for years and years. Bill Bright wrote that uh, many years ago, and it's been used to lead millions of people to Christ. Uh, Billy Graham's pamphlet, uh, Steps to Peace with God, God has greatly used that. But the, the very first point in the spiritual law or Billy Graham's uh, pamphlet, it says, God loves you and has a wonderful purpose for your life. Well, technically that is true. But sometimes we take that and we try, to, we try to help people. We're so anxious for them to grasp the gospel that we say to them something like, you know what, if you just trust Jesus, man, Jesus is going to make life so much better. Everything's going to be all right. And he's going to heal you. And he's going to bring you hope in you. And, and everything in life is just going to be wonderful this, this, this day forward because God so loves you and he has this wonderful plan and purpose for your life. And so people go into that relationship thinking, 
that God's going to protect me from everything. God's going to make sure that my, every rough edge in my life gets smoothed out, that I'm always going to have my answers to my prayers. And that's why people say to me, well, I don't believe God answers prayers. And well, why do you not believe God answers prayers? Because I prayed this, this, and this, and I asked God to do this, this, and this, and he didn't do it the way I wanted it done, when I wanted it done, or how I wanted it done. And therefore, he must not love me or care about me. Because we have bought into this this concept, this expectation that, that God's just going to make everything in life just wonderful and there's just not going to be any pain, there's not going to be any more suffering, there's not going to be any more broken relationships, there's not going to be any more sin things to deal with. And, and so, you know, you come into a small group. People share prayer. Hey, we got any big prayer requests or praises? And we love it when people say, you know what, God was praying, and, and man, God, God just, uh, I had a financial need, God met the financial need, and, and you know, praise the Lord for that, or, or you know, God, I needed some healing emotionally, and, and God brought that in mind, well, praise the Lord for that, and then all of a sudden, somebody says, you know what, um, man, where I work, it's a hostile environment, my boss doesn't like Christians, and when he found out that I tried to share my faith last week with one of my coworkers, he fired me. Do we, do we rejoice about that? And, and so what the Acts 5 teaches us is that there is, a, there is a new normal. And the new normal is that sometimes uh, where there is the power of God coming down, um, there is persecution, there is pushback, um, Things do not always end up like we thought they would. You know, we often quote John 10.10 where Jesus the good shepherd says, you know, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came to give you life and life abundantly. Or some of your translations say life in the full. And we take and we, we grab hold of that one verse and say, okay, you know, God, you've promised me the life in the full. You've promised me this abundant life. And therefore, we translate that in our minds as thinking, well, that means there's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. There's no more suffering in this world. I, I, I've got it all. Yes, God loves us. Yes, God has a wonderful plan for our lives. But a, the bulk of that plan happens in eternity. And sometimes we, we come into this relationship with this unrealistic expect, expectation of God, and when God doesn't come through as we thought he would or should, now all of a sudden we are, we are hurt and we are disappointed with God. And uh, when you get there, and probably maybe some of you are there or you are going to be there, um, when you are hurt and disappointed with God, you are very open and susceptible to deception. And Satan's going to come along, and he's going to start deceiving your mind, and your thoughts affect your emotions, and your emotions affect, affects your life, and then that affects your emotions again. And so, um, and the process is that Satan is trying to create distance and discord between you and God. Have you ever stopped and thought about some of the unrealistic expectations you have put on God, not because God promised it, you just thought he promised it, or somebody else told you he promised it, but we really didn't. Jesus, although he, he talked about uh, life change, he also talked about, listen, People are going to hate you just like they hated me. People are going to persecute you just like they persecuted me. Things are not always going to turn out the way that you want them to turn out. That's just not how life is. 
How many marriages get into trouble and, and, and you're sitting there thinking, but God, you promised me. You said that if I just be a follower of Jesus, man, my life would work out and my marriage problems would go away and everything would just be lovely. And it's not working. Here's number two is you got to remember you are engaged in a very real and dangerous battle. That's why window shoppers who are just kind of checking out Jesus um, they don't get that. They don't understand that. And, and Jesus says, you know what? Before you, before you uh, step across the line of faith, you need to sit down and consider the cost because you're about to engage in a spiritual battle unlike anything else. And it's kind of like in the military. You may have a smashing victory over your enemy, but there's still casualties along the way. 1 Peter 5 Dealing with this very issue of spiritual warfare, here's what Peter said in 1 Peter 5.10. After you have suffered for a little while, we don't want to hear that, right? Don't tell me about suffering for a little while. I just wanted to walk with Jesus, and I want everything in life to be better and perfect and everything to work out the way I want it to work out. No, it just doesn't work that way. But if I set up that unrealistic expectation and God does not fulfill what I expect, then I am disappointed, and disappointed, disappointment always breeds into uh, letdown and anger. Sometimes we forget that we're going to be flogged along life's journey. So think about this. In Acts chapter 12, Peter and James get arrested. Now remember that Peter, James, and John were the three men who were the inner circle of Jesus. Okay? So Peter, man, he gets called out by Jesus. He's put in charge of the church of Jerusalem. He writes some of the New Testament. And John, you know, he, he's a, another person who, uh, you know, he got to write books in the New Testament. Had this, this incredible revelation of God, right? So the unveiling of Jesus in his glorified being. And, and John got to see that and witness it and experience and write about it. And then we have James, right? Like James, James didn't, this James didn't write the book of James. That was the half-brother of Jesus. This James, so Peter and James are arrested in Acts chapter 12. And so again, God comes down and he sends an angel and Peter is released from prison and James, he gets beheaded. What's up with that? I was, man, I was a part of the inner circle, Lord. I was, a, I was one of the in guys, I want, to, I want releasing, okay? I want to get set free miraculously. Why is it that I am the one who has been chosen to be beheaded? Would you be a little ticked about that? No, I understand. Well, you got to go to heaven. Yeah, well, that's really not the way I want to go. You see, the problem is we try, to, we try to make our churches safe places. Have you ever heard these words? These are words I heard from my mother. Don't jump, don't jump on the bed. You might fall off and break your neck. Thanks, Mom. I, I appreciate that. Hey, don't go swimming because you swim a lot. Don't go swimming at least 30 minutes after you've eaten. Otherwise, you might get cramps and uh, get a cramp and drown. Don't run with scissors. You might, you might fall and poke your eye out. Listen, the only time my eye almost got poked out by scissors is when my sister threw them at me. Amen. The problem is when you go to Acts, there's nothing safe about the church. There's no, there, it was a very dangerous mission statement that Jesus gave to his apostles. 
And so if my expectation is that, God, my life should go smoothly. God, I'm in ministry. I've spent 12 years preparing for this. I was in school for 12 years that I didn't want to spend in school. And, 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 and God, why is it that it's not happening for me? And, and why am I not being blessed like this person? And why is my church not growing like this church? And so if you're, if you're not careful, you get into the comparison trap and you have these expectations of God and God doesn't seem to be meeting the expectations and you get disappointed and you become angry and depressed and it will stop you dead in your tracks if you're not careful. And so you have to remember that, that, that you're in a war. It's not always going to work out for you the way you thought it would. I love Jim Simbla in his book, Fresh Wind and Fresh Fire. He made this statement, I, dis I despaired at the thought of my life it, that it might slip away without seeing God show himself mightily on our behalf. God will, at times will show himself mightily on your behalf. But remember, in, you're in a war, and sometimes you're the casualty, Right? Sometimes things just don't go your way, the way you expected, the way you thought God would do it. Here's number three. So you've got to rely on God's power. It will show up, though, but it's going to be on God's timetable, all right? So yes, Peter walked along, his shadows hitting people, people were healed, but he's flogged. You know, the apostle Paul, he's taken to Rome as a prisoner and involved in a shipwreck, but yet God used him in, in mighty ways. When he's put out on the island of Malta, he's bitten by a poisonous snake, but he doesn't die. So they bring everybody to him, and he heals everybody on the island, and, and God used him in incredible ways. But at times, he couldn't, you know, he offered Timothy wine. He couldn't bring healing there, Epaphroditus. Uh, there were just ways that times that God showed up and times that God didn't show up, but it was always according to God's timetable. Even Jesus himself in his own hometown, it says that not that he didn't want to bring healing to the people in his own hometown, but the Bible says that he could not because of their unbelief. Here's the point. The father says, because these people are disobedient, uh, the healing is just not going to come. And so God's given us spiritual gifts, and those gifts are in the singular, you know, the gift of wisdom and teaching, until you get to the gifts of miracles. It's in the plural, gifts of miracles and gifts of healing. My point is simply this, that although God has called us to bring to bear some of heaven upon earth, and not every person I pray over gets healed, but there are a lot of people I pray over who do get healed. But it's not going to stop me if I'm going to be in Acts 55, 41, uh, you know, disciple of, of God, it's like, you know what, God, I'm going to rejoice no matter what because I know this is what you've called me to do. This You've called me to be obedient to this. Uh, Lord, I'm not the one who brings to bear power in this person's life. Only you can do that. I'm just going to be obedient to what you've called me to do. I got a, a, a Facebook from a message from a, a, actually a family that, gosh, it's been 25 years uh, when I was pastoring in Illyria. And here's what the husband said. He says, I just wanted to thank you. He says, this is the 25th year anniversary when my wife had cancer and I brought her in the front of the church and you prayed healing for her and God healed her 25 years ago. She's still going strong. See, it's not me. It's the power of God. It's God who, I just rely on his power, but God's power shows up on his timetable. 
Because there are people that I've prayed over who did not get healed, right? So um, even here in this church, I've seen many people get healed, some who not get. It's God who does that. So you have to realize, number four, there are many things that don't make sense for now, so stay anchored into God's word. Listen, spiritual pain is an invitation for you to have an experience with God in, in ways that you won't otherwise. As one author puts it, it's called your spiritual winter. In the wintertime, guess what the trees lose? Their leaves, right? All you see are the branches, the infrastructure of the tree. And so sometimes in our lives, we go through some deep, dark valleys in our spiritual lives, and we assume that, our, that because we are bare, we are barren, and that is just not the case. The case, the fact of the matter is, in, in the time that you're going through these valleys, that what seems like your winter, your spiritual dryness, God's doing some incredible things. Do you know the life of Jesus, that 90% of his life was spent anonymously, right? We know very little about his life until he hits the scene uh, with John the Baptist. That only comprises three and a half years of his life. That's 10% of his life. 90% of his life was spent anonymously by and large. What was God doing in that process of time? God was preparing him for the moment in which he was to make his, his debut, right? So uh, my point is just, listen, if you're going through a deep spiritual uh, journey that is like, you know, you, you feel like you're barren, you feel like you're in the desert, you feel like you're in the valley, I just want to encourage you, do not give up because those are the times and the places in which God does some of his greatest work in your life in preparation for what he has in front of you. People say all the time, well, I want to be like Jesus, I want to walk like Jesus, I want to live like, like Jesus. What are, you, what are you not saying? You know, I we're not saying, well, I'm going to subject my body, soul, and, and you know, to extended wilderness experiences. I, I don't want to be brutally beaten or suffer excruciating pain or, you know, have desert experiences, tortured, crucified. Right? None of us want those things. But from God's perspective, anonymous seasons are sacred spaces to be rested in, not rushed through. Because God's doing something. In that season, he did it in Jesus' life. He's going to do it in yours. Even in the three and a half years that Jesus came to the surface, he spent extraordinary amounts of time alone with the Father. And one of the reasons why we, we have such difficulty in our spiritual bareness is because we don't spend the time with the Father. Number five, rejoice, and you'll receive grace when you need it. You know, God has a delivery system. God doesn't put grace in boxes and neatly label them. Hey, here's my grace box for those who need extra grace from me. Here's my grace uh, for physical ailments or tragedy or financial hardship. No, God's, God's got the grace. It'll show up when you need it, exactly according to his time. So um, let me just close with this. I want to encourage you. Um, if we want to be Acts 541, disciples of Jesus, who... Uh, are going to rejoice 
whether God is showing up in power or he's showing up in our lives through a flogging. If we're going to keep moving and be unstoppable, then we need each other, right? Because you may be on the spiritual mountaintop, somebody's in a deep, dark valley, and they need you. You know, my wife and I were talking about this just the night before last about couples in our church. There are many couples in our church who are having, you know, just, I know how it is, man, when you are married and your kids are young and time is tight, money's tight, and there's a lot of stress and strain and trying to raise kids. And so you need somebody, right? You need others. You need to, you need to, my, my daughter and son-in-law, every Friday night, they have what they call Friday night fellowship at their house, or they, they call it something else. I, I labeled it that. But basically, they have couples over at their house because they're all in the same boat, right? They got kids about the same age, facing the same stresses and strains of life. They're just there to encourage one another as they're walking through. Maybe for some of them, it's a, it's a barren time in their life or like they feel like it's a barren time, like God's just not doing anything and nothing seems to be happening and nothing seems to be working in their life. And, and the stresses and the strains of the relationship and marriage, you know, their marriages are just, they're, they're just barely making it at, at best. But then when they come alongside with other couples who, you know, maybe they're a little, in a little different spot and they're, they're encouraging them and they're praying with them and they're helping them and they're moving them along, that's what the church, that's why the Bible has put so much emphasis upon the community of the body of Christ because there are times when, man, we are on spiritual highs and God is just coming down and raining down in great power and majesty and might. And there are other times when we feel like we have been flogged to death and we are just kind of like in our deep, dark valley and we need somebody to journey with us through the valley. And so, let's pray together. As we pray, um, let me encourage you to be an encourager. Listen, I know that when you get in the valleys and the dry periods and the difficult times of your life, it's easy for things to go by the wayside, one of which is our walk and our relationship with the Father. Because we're disappointed and we're hurt and sometimes we, we've had these unrealistic expectations and Satan is beating us and beating up on us and we're just not sure what to do, where to go, where to turn. And you need somebody to come alongside of you. So Holy Spirit, would you Fill us today and touch us. Move freely in this place. Would you empower ordinary Christians to live extraordinary spirit-filled lives? Would you, would you rule and reign, help us to overcome our flesh and fully surrender to your power? Lord, there are many who are, who are not living in the midst of this power source and they need your strength and they're hurting and they need hope. Holy Spirit, would you do that, what only you can do? I pray that those who have people they love and, and they're not sure how to share their faith, I pray, Lord, that you'll come upon them boldly, that you'll enable them to articulate, um, God, their trust and belief in you. I pray that you would break strongholds and addictions, Lord. For there are some here today who have some very practical struggles from very um, strongholds that have been plaguing them for years. So I pray that you will be strong where they are weak. 
I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal to us just who you are. And yes, how much you love us and what really matters that we might enjoy the fullness of walking with you. I pray that you will draw people to yourself today. And maybe you're here this morning and you are recognizing, you know, you know what, I'm looking for the right answers, but I'm not finding anything. Maybe for some of you, you trusted in church and you trusted in religion, but you never really trusted in Christ. Today, maybe you recognize that you are apart from God and that you want to be with him. You want to walk with him and have intimacy with him so that regardless of what the world, what life brings, that you too are going to rejoice. You too are going to walk in joy even though you're walking in pain. And so you're here by design. God has brought you here to encourage you to speak to your heart. And so, Father, I pray for anyone this morning who's never opened up their life to Jesus, that, Lord, they would know that through him our sins are forgiven, through him we are indwelt by his Spirit, by him we are empowered to overcome the power of sin in our lives, that we do not battle alone, but we have you with us that we can draw on your power and that, that Lord, um, we just, as we anchor into your word and as we anchor into your grace, that, Lord, we thank you we can have peace and no matter what's going on around us that surpasses all human understanding that guards our hearts and our minds because of the gospel, the power of the gospel. And I pray, Lord, the, that the power of the gospel would come to bear upon the lives of your people today, that we would take that message and we would share it, we would live it, we would experience it. And so for those who are hurting, Father, I pray, oh God, that you would come and minister to their lives this morning. Enrich them. Let them know that they're not alone. For those who are walking in a barren time of their life, Lord, I pray that you just today that you just might let them see just a leaf that comes out on the, that what they perceive as deadness in their life, that, to know that, that spring is coming, that resurrection is coming, that, God, you are, you are always faithful to us no matter where we are. We thank you in the name of Jesus. So let's stand together this morning. Um, we're going to sing. Uh, we'll be taking an offering here in a few moments, but we're